Morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this morning. And my name is Jeff, and uh, I'll be teaching this morning's lesson. Uh, but before we dig into that lesson, uh, Mike just said that um, he would like you to fill out the Connect card. And if you would take that out for me, please. Um, that That's everybody, um, even regulars. Um, uh, and, and I'll tell you exactly why in just a moment. But if you would just um, put your... Um, contact information on there um, and then um, <clears throat> as many of you know um, what we're what we're getting ready for here at Good News Gathering is this thing called Roots and that's coming up on the first weekend in November it's only 25 days away and <clears throat> I just want to talk about that for just a moment because with um, G&G attracting so many new people during the last year um, perhaps some of you may be wondering, well, what, what exactly is Roots? What is it? And so I just kind of wanted to explain that to you this morning. Every year for the past 15 years, G&G has set aside one weekend to celebrate God's gift of music. And there are four services that weekend that consist entirely of music. Um, God's Word is, is presented through songs instead of through regular teaching, like you get Sunday in and Sunday out. It's really, I guess you could say, teaching in a different format. And our programming team and our worship band, uh, light, sound, dance, graphics, set design teams, all these teams have been working for months to put this program together. And you may be wondering, well, why in the world do you do that? You know, wh- why do a service that's kind of out of the ordinary? Why ask people to do all that extra work? What's the point? Um, <laughs> why have you done this for 15 years? So why Roots is a great question. I, wanna, I want you to understand our thought process on this, okay? 15 years ago, <laughs> we actually did a lesson series on worship. And what is it and, and all that kind of thing. And during that series... Uh, we explored different ways that people worship God. And we, we discovered that the Bible talks about worship in a, in a variety of different mediums, like prayer and Bible reading, meditation. In fact, the Bible indicates that our entire lives should be an expression of worship to God. But there's no question that one of the most common vehicles for expressing worship and you find this reference throughout the Bible, is through song. In fact, the Bible tells us that on the night before Jesus died, he and his apostles sang a hymn. And they sang that hymn right before they left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, in the very first root service, we really only had one thing in mind that we, that we kind of wanted to get it across. We saw that particular service as a teaching tool for the G&G family, okay? We hoped that it would teach two things. First, we wanted the G&G family to understand that God can be worshipped through any style of music, okay? You see, the way we look at it, <laughs> excuse me, the way we look at it, there is no such thing as Christian music. Music is music. It's neutral. It's the lyrics or the words that make a song Christian or positive or non-Christian or negative, okay? And so that very first Roots, we did all different kind of music. We did everything from Gregorian chant to a madrigal piece 
to a blues piece. We did funk that year. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, but we really explored the roots of modern worship music. And that's actually how it got its name. Okay? We were just exploring the roots of modern worship music. Now, the second thing that we wanted to teach that very first roots was we wanted, we wanted to kind of expand the horizons of the GNG family. And, and here's what I mean by that. Over the years, I've seen way too many churches divide over musical preferences. Um, and we, we don't want that to happen here. I hope that we never have a traditional service at 9 a.m. So everybody that likes that kind of music comes then. And then a contemporary service at 1045. So people that don't like traditional music, they come at 1045. I never wanted our church family to get divided like that over music. And I mean, think about it. And, and you know, I've thought about this. Where does that, where does that end? Okay? You ever think about that? Where, where exactly does that end? I mean, how about a country service at 8 and a reggae service at noon? Um, big band at two and punk rock at four, right? I mean, how far, how far do you take that? The musical, and, and here, here's the thing to think about, the musical portion of our service when we worship God through song typically lasts about 20 to 25 minutes. That's max, okay? And if we as a church family, if we can't worship together for that long once a week, Regardless of what style of music it might be that's getting played on that particular day, there's kind of a problem there. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem that says it's about me and the style of music I like and what I prefer. And my musical preference is more important than the unity of the family. And if you've been here any length of time, you know that typically our musical style tends toward kind of kind of adult contemporary, I guess you could say, or blues rock, some people would say. That's kind of our our wheelhouse. But we should be able to appreciate any style or any variety of musical styles, okay? So if you're part of the G&G family and you really like opera, or you really like classical, or you really like bluegrass, listen to it all week long, okay? Wear your ears out, But on Sunday morning, for just about 20 to 25 minutes, set your preferences, whatever they might be, aside and worship with your G&G family. Okay? And just so you know, in previous roots, we've done opera and classical and bluegrass. Okay? Um, Now, what started out as just one lesson at the end of the series ended up becoming an annual event. Because almost as soon as that first root service was done, people started asking, when are you going to do this again? That was, that was really cool. Um, we enjoyed learning about different styles of music, and we enjoyed, we enjoyed hearing them and seeing how people could worship through them. And so people asked us to do it again the following year, and they started inviting their friends. And that's when, in addition to being a teaching tool for the G&G family, we begin to see roots also as what we call a bridge event, okay? And what we realized is that music is a powerful tool for building bridges to people 
who are far from God. By Roots 4, we had to add a second service. By Roots 11, we had to add a third. And now we do four. Last year, nearly 2,000 people came in for the four services. Now, <clears throat> Roots is a non-threatening environment for inviting your non-churched friends to experience Jesus Christ through music. This year's lineup, just so you know, includes songs by Kansas, Avril Lavigne, Alan Jackson for you country folks, Lauren Daigle, Imagine Dragons, and, get this, the Beatles. And as always, hymns, okay? Now, you're probably wondering, how do you get songs by non-Christian bands to, to fit a Christian theme? Well, come and you'll find out, all right? So, <laughs> let me give you some, some ideas about how you can help this year's Roots be a success. Let me give you two ways. Now, <laughs> first of all, is pray, okay? And, I'm, and I am totally serious about this, guys. Please be in prayer for everyone involved for those we can reach. Um, <clears throat> Roots is a huge undertaking uh, with the potential to reach hundreds, if not thousands of people. And friends, when you do that as a church, invariably the evil one takes notice and things happen. And it never fails that at every Roots, every year we experience Equipment failures, last-minute illnesses, injuries, family issues, loss of loved ones. Um, this year has been particularly hard on the band. Um, I announced last service that we've lost two singers already to vocal issues. I did not realize, <laughs> I was reminded between services that it's now up to three. Okay, People who literally cannot sing at this point. Um, because of some vocal issue. <clears throat> so please, pray that God will give everyone involved the strength to finish strong and uh, pray specifically for the people that you will invite to come because the success of Roots really depends on whether or not you all invite people. Now, here's something about inviting. Please invite people you know who don't attend a church and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? We don't do Roots to entertain the already convinced. Roots isn't about having Christians from other churches come here to think we have a great band or great dance team or cool lights, sets, graphics, sound, you name it. We do Roots to reach people far from God. That's our target audience, okay? Now, we've got some stuff that can help you um, as you invite people to come with you. <clears throat> First of all, we have Roots cards. They're little um, business cards. They've got the dates and times of each of the services on it and a little explanation about Roots and also a map or a, um, information on the back how they can get here. <laughs> you can pick those up from the greeters. We also have a Roots poster, okay? Pretty cool, huh? And <clears throat> you can pick these up from the greeters or at the Welcome Center. And um, hopefully, uh, if it's okay with your boss, you can put one up at work. 
um, and uh, invite your coworkers to come too, okay? Um, <laughs> if you're going to put one up at work, always check and make sure that's okay. I know some places of business get a little funny about religious stuff. But <clears throat> on your Connect card, um, what I would like you to do is I'd like you to look at that middle box on the back. And there in that middle box, it has the roots of services. And what I would <laughs> really appreciate it and what would be a big help to us is if you would check which service you plan to attend. Now, I know some of you come more than once, and that's great. We, we love that. Um, and some of you are serving on, at, at more than one service. And so just mark whenever you're going to be here, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> What we, what we want to do, and the reason we're doing this, we're asking you to do this, is because it's important for us to have a critical mass of regular GNG attenders at each service because you guys participate in the singing part where the audience sings, and you guys know the songs because we've been practicing them for several months now. We do them once a month. And so please... <laughs> um, we would love to have you here singing just as, uh, as loud as you can. And um, there's also a, a last box there that says willing to attend when needed, okay? If you check that box, what you're telling us is that we can contact you and ask you to attend a particular service if it looks like our number of regular attenders is going to be low for that service. That way we can kind of beef up the numbers of, of regular GNGers at that service. And that, that's a big help to us, okay? Sometimes we find that everybody wants to come on Friday night, um, and, and, then, and then the other services aren't, aren't quite as well attended. So if you could do that for us, it would, it would really help. And just drop your Connect cards in the containers at the back of the auditorium. All right, everybody clear on that? Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> We're in the third week of our lesson series entitled Following Together. And if, if you're a first-time guest, you've got a white sheet with holes punched on the side. That's an outline that will help you follow along this morning. And just take that out, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But there, during this series, <laughs> we're, we've been exploring how we, both as individuals and as a church family, can become radically committed to living out our faith. Because you see, here at G&G, what we don't want to be is we don't want to be casual Christians. People who believe that the essence of Christianity is, I attend church. I just go to church. But my faith really has little impact on how I live my life the rest of the week. It doesn't affect how I think. It doesn't really impact the decisions I make. It doesn't... doesn't really affect how I treat other people or how I spend my money or anything like that. It's, it, it, uh, because I've compartmentalized my faith into 75 minutes on Sunday morning and that's it. The rest of the time, I'm what one writer has referred to as a functional atheist. In other words, I go about my daily life as if there is no God. Because I don't talk to him. I don't read his book. I basically live as if he's not really there. Hmm. Is that the way it's supposed to work? 
Another thing we don't want to be is we don't want to be cultural Christians. People who believe that the essence of Christianity is, I'm a Christian provided it's convenient and consistent with the culture that I live in. So my faith doesn't call me to think differently or act differently than the society in which I live or hold a view that might be unpopular, God forbid. You see, it's not really about us being the church of Jesus Christ. It's about us being the church of what's happening now. But see, here at Good News Gathering, we're we're not about being casual or cultural Christians. We want a faith that is life-altering. We want a faith that is game-changing, risk-taking, character-stretching. That's the kind of faith we want. But how? How is it possible to develop that kind of faith? The kind of faith that, that pushes me out of my comfort zone to share my faith with a neighbor or somebody else. The kind of faith that stretches my character to forgive people who've hurt me. That's hard. The kind of faith that empowers me to risk standing up for the truth or what's right despite cultural pressure to remain silent or conform. You see, we have to ask ourselves the question, is the faith like that possible in this day and age or was that kind of limited to Bible times? Okay? And it's the kind of power that would drive that kind of faith available to us today. If so, how, how do we access it? How do we get there? Now, today's lesson is, in, is entitled Power Source. And our focus verse for this series is Romans 12, 5. So let's all recite it together. Here we go. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Notice those first two words. It says, in Christ. This is key. Because it's in Christ that everything else in that sentence works, and only in him. In Christ, and we'll see this especially in today's account from Scripture. In Christ, for those who are in Christ, we who though many form one unified body. Whoa. And each member belongs to all the others. In other words, I belong to you. You belong to me. We all belong to each other because we are in Christ together. We're a family of faith. So where does our power come from? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity we have to read your word Father, help us to discover the power source for a faith that will push us out of our comfort zone. A faith that will stretch our character. A faith that will enable us to risk standing up 
and standing for what's right and true and good and noble and pure. A faith that will drive us to serve and to serve with the very best that we have. Father, help us to discover that power today for this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now friends, in today's story, you have to understand that it's been a hard, hard week. And it was only Thursday. Two more days and hopefully... These guys could clear out of Jerusalem and get back to friendlier territory in Galilee, way up in the north of the country. But right now they're stuck in Jerusalem. And they're not liking it one bit. For months, Jesus has been telling the apostles that he would die at the hands of the religious and the political establishment. Spies were tracking their every move. Hecklers were embedded in the crowd asking Jesus difficult questions, hoping, just hoping to trip him up. Death threats swirled around Jesus and his little band of followers. Earlier in the year, Jesus had narrowly escaped being stoned to death in Jerusalem. So when he announced to his, his intention to attend the Passover festival in Jerusalem, his followers viewed it And rightly so, as a death wish. Peter tried to object. Jesus shut him down. Thomas verbally resigned himself to the possibility that they would all die with him if they went back to Jerusalem. And when they rolled into town on Sunday, massive crowds lined the streets greeting Jesus like the Messiah the apostles believed him to be. And most likely for just a few moments, they may have felt some relief. Surely the religious leaders wouldn't risk the ire of Jesus' adoring crowd. Start a riot if they tried to arrest Jesus. But instead of basking in the moment, instead of taking in all the adoration Jesus went into the temple and drove the people that were selling sacrificial animals out and overturned the money changers' tables and he, and he formed his belt into a whip and he was like, Phew. that was Sunday. Each day, Jesus and his apostles reentered the city and each day Jesus encountered the hostility of the religious establishment. Not that he didn't bring it on. I mean, let's face it. How do you expect those in power to react when you call them out in public with statements like, hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in and you don't let others in either. I can imagine some of the apostles shuddered when he said that. Or get this. You cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn them into twice the child of hell that you are. 
I'm thinking Jesus did not read how to win friends and influence people. But each evening, scholars believe Jesus and his apostles left the city and spent the night with friends in a nearby village, which probably helped the apostles rest just a little bit easier, though they were really within arm's reach of the religious establishment. But tonight, Thursday night, was different. Jesus wanted to celebrate Passover in the city which would put them there after dark. This was high risk, and they knew it. As they gathered in the upper room, the air was heavy with this sense of foreboding. Jesus seemed troubled. Every moment, every act, every word seemed jam-packed with meaning and significance, though the apostles weren't clear about some of it until later. He washed their feet, a servant's job. He referred to his own body and his own blood during the Passover meal. He made a shocking allegation that one of them would betray him and that all of them would desert him. And they were appalled. Me? You mean me? Who would do that? And then there was this odd interaction between Jesus and Judas that that others struggled to overhear and then Judas unexplainedly left. Nobody exactly knew why. And then in the midst of all this high drama, Jesus makes an intriguing statement. And he paints a word picture that is a little difficult for us to understand, but we're going we're gonna to dive into this and we're going to unpack it. Some scholars actually believe that he said these words as he and the eleven were making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a word picture that gives us the answer to questions like this. How do I know if I am a true follower of Jesus Christ? How do I know that? You ever ask that? You ever wonder that? Where do I get the power to truly follow him? Because it seems like so often I feel weak. So often I feel like I succumb to sin or to doing things that I, I know are outside of God's will. And why? Where, where's the power to overcome? So here's what Jesus said. I'm going to read it. And I just want you to just... Sit back and listen. Let it kind of wash over you. And then we'll go back and we'll unpack it. And here's what he said. I am the vine, the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch 
can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. What Jesus said here is jam-packed with meaning. Every sentence bombarding his followers with significance. The same with us 2,000 years later. Now on your outline there, we're going to... We're going to go right through, sentence by sentence, what Jesus said. Notice what he said. He begins with, I am. Circle those two words. I am. Now for those of us today, we probably look at that and we skip right, we read right through that and don't even think about this. But Jesus here is making a direct declaration that he was God. You may remember the story from the Old Testament when Moses encountered God in the burning bush. He at one point asks God, okay, because God was saying, go to the Israelites, free the Israelites from bondage and slavery in Egypt. Go do that. Go talk to Pharaoh. And and Moses is like, "Uh, I don't don't know that I can do this. And he's given excuses. And then he says to this, he he says this to God. He says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am. Circle those two words. I am has sent me to you. And when Jesus used that phrase, I am, he was making a direct declaration that he was God, the same God that spoke to Moses in the Old Testament. Tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Think of other statements that Jesus made where he made that same statement. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus was crystal clear about who he was. And friends, in Jewish society, they all knew exactly who he was claiming to be because he repeatedly used that phrase, I am. Not only that, but in John 8, 24, he said this. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. Circle those two words again. That I am he. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Wow. 
In other words, he's saying, if you want to be connected to God, you've got to be connected to me. Otherwise, you will indeed die in your sins. That's Jesus. And he says, he goes on to say, I am the true vine. Circle those two words, true vine. What in the world is he talking about? I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, Jesus is painting this word picture, and this word picture goes back to the Old Testament. Because the vine in the Old Testament represented the nation of Israel. It was referred to as a vine planted and tended by God. But Jesus says, he is the true vine. What's he he saying here? Well, friends, in the Old Testament, even though the Jewish nation, the Israelites, were referred to in Scripture as the vine, and in fact, they, it's interesting, but if there are actually coins that have been found, coins that were minted by the Israelite nation hundreds of years before Jesus, and the inscription on the coin has a vine on it, because that's the way they viewed themselves. Also, the temple had a carving of a vine in the wall. But what happened? Israel had not remained faithful to God. And the prophet Jeremiah said said this in Jeremiah 2.21. He said, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. Here Jeremiah is speaking prophetically on behalf of God. And God is saying, I had planted you, Israel, like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? Israel had not remained faithful to God, but Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I am the expression of God on earth. The nation of Israel failed to represent God as it was supposed to here on earth. But I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So friends, Jesus is the true vine. And I, if I'm a follower of Christ, am a branch. I'm a branch. Notice what he says there. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. But as the gardener, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Circle the words cuts off and then the word prunes. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. In other words, God the gardener is interested in everything that's growing off of that vine, every branch. Some of them are doing well and some are not. You know, I think it's interesting that Jesus chose to use this word picture of a vine just shortly after he shared the fruit of the vine with his followers and identified it with his blood. I also think it's interesting that he used this picture of vines and branches and branches that needed to be cut off not long after Judas 
left the room. You see, it looked like Judas was one of Jesus' followers. He was attached to Jesus like a branch is to the vine. He was one of the twelve. And nobody but Jesus actually knew that even though he was attached, he wasn't what he appeared to be. He wasn't really following Jesus. In fact, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, remember the response in the room? Nobody said, oh, it's got to be Judas. Everybody said, is it me? Is it me? Nobody, nobody immediately identified him. He, they all thought he was one of them. The reality was, even though he was attached, he wasn't what he appeared to be. In him was no truth. No life, no fruit. He was trusted by the others, but not trustworthy. In fact, if you read John 12, 6, they trusted him so much they put him in charge of the money that was brought in that people would give them to help sustain them in their ministry. And John 12, 6 tells us that even though they trusted him, he was taking money out of the till. You know, friends, there are those who appear to be attached to the vine, and yet they are not. There are possessors of life, and then there are professors of life, people who profess to be attached to the vine, but who are not. Now, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Circle the word clean and the word word. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now friends, the second point that we have to learn from this illustration that Jesus uses is this. Just as a branch cannot live unless the sap of the vine flows into it. I cannot live spiritually unless Christ's Holy Spirit flows into it. In me. See, that's what makes me live. As a branch, I'm attached to the vine and the spirit comes through me just like sap from a vine flows into its branches. See, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. When we accept Christ as our Savior, in fact, that very night, Jesus told his closest followers in the upper room, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 
You see, when we're attached to the vine, when we as branches are attached to the vine, his spirit flows through us and lives within us, giving us power to bear fruit. But there's a harsh reality here as well. Jesus said, you are already clean. And by clean, what he's talking about there is that when a gardener would prune those vines, they called it cleaning, and they would cut away any kind of little branch or anything that was sticking up out of that vine that was not healthy. And the truth is, friends, God cuts away fruitless branches but prunes fruitful branches for greater fruitfulness. You see, God will deal with both kinds of branches, both the fruitless and the fruitful. The fruitless, he will cut away. The fruitful, he will prune so that they become even more fruitful. What does, that, what does that look like? The Apostle Paul wrote this in, in Hebrews 12. He said this. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, circle this phrase, everything that hinders. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. Circle that word, sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In other words, staying focused on the vine and connected to the vine. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So what does he mean when he says... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Well, the sin part's obvious. Obviously, we as Christian people need to throw off sin as best we can with God's help. We need to avoid those things that drag us away from Him. We need to eliminate those things in our lives that are outside of His will. But there are other things that simply hinder us. Maybe they're not necessarily evil. Maybe they're not exactly what you would call sin, but they are things that do not help us move forward. They're needless, useless, wasteful, unproductive things that we allow to creep in and keep us from becoming all that God's calling us to be. Sometimes they're even good things, but not the best things, and they keep us from staying focused on Jesus. And God, if we will allow him, will prune those things away. But there's another way that God prunes us. And this is not pleasant. There's no joy in me telling you this. Even though Jesus' half-brother James tells us to consider it joy. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, circle this phrase, trials of many kinds. 
James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How is that possible? How can you consider it joy when you face trials? Because, he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You realize, friends, that God prunes us through trials. This is one of those difficult aspects of Christianity, but it is true that God is at work in every loss you experience to prune you. God is at work in every failure you experience to prune you. God is at work when you're persecuted. God is at work when you face injustice. God is at work when you are in the midst of tremendous grief. God is at work when you suffer from disappointment. He is at work whenever you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance so that you and I may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, he prunes fruitful branches for greater fruitfulness. And even though we may not be perfect and will not be perfect until we meet him in heaven, but the dominating direction of our lives is toward him. That's why we fix our eyes on him. That's why we stay connected to the vine. So how does God prune me? How does he do that? Well, friends, in addition to working through our trials, one of the ways we are cleansed or pruned is by Christ's word. It's by Christ's word. Remember he said this, he said, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You see, Christ's word, what he said to us, the way he lived, the way he taught, what comes through in God's word prunes us and makes us more like him. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. Did you get that? Please circle the word all. All scripture is inspired by God. Not just the parts I get, not just the parts I like, Not just the parts that are comfortable to me. Not just the parts that are culturally acceptable. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word. God's word prunes us. 
What does that mean for us, friends? It means we got to know it. We got to read it. We got to look at it and let it impact our lives so that God can prune us. He can use it to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives, what we need to change and learn how to do what's right. Friends, that's why in every lesson here at Good News Gathering, this is the key. That's why in class 201, we teach you how to study your Bible. Class 201 is coming up next week. That's why our life groups center around this. Because God uses it to prune us. So what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about bearing fruit? He said, if anyone is in me, they will bear much fruit. Well, friends, there's a couple of kinds of fruit that the Bible talks about. The Bible says this in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. So the first kind of fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, over time, the longer that we are in the vine, our, our lives should show greater love, greater joy, greater peace, greater forbearance, greater willingness to forgive others when they wrong us, greater kindness, greater goodness, greater faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And friends, the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I being pruned? Is my life exhibiting these things? In greater degrees, the longer I'm a Christian? Because if it's not, we've got to ask ourselves, Am I accepting the pruning God's trying to give me? Because Jesus was pretty clear about what happens to branches that don't get pruned. You know, there's another kind of fruit that we bear. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, the ends of the earth. That second type of fruit is the fruit of my witness. The fruit of my witness. The question is, friends, are we impacting other people for Jesus Christ? Are we? Are other, people become, are, are other people coming to Christ because of the witness that we have? Are we bearing fruit? Many of you back on Decision Day in March wrote the names of people that you wanted to try and reach out to this year. And I would encourage those of you that did that to think about, have I done that yet? Have I actually made an effort to reach out to that person that I wrote, whose name I wrote down? Have I reached out to them this year? 
Have I borne fruit? Now, friends, the reality is this. Number six says this, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he went on to give this warning. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Friends, we have to understand that no matter what it is we're doing, if we are attempting something grand or something great that we think will help the kingdom of God apart from Christ, we can do nothing of spiritual significance. John said it this way. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. In other words, what we have heard from the beginning, what he has given us in his word, if that remains in us, then we will remain in the Father and the Son. And he has promised us eternal life. But if we do not remain in him, there's a different outcome. Gathered up, burn. Friends, apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, we can be fruitful. Remember this. We are cleansed by his word. And his word is the Bible. Friends, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey this morning. Maybe you're just kind of checking things out. And if you're here this morning and and you're just kind of checking Christianity out, that's awesome and we're just thrilled that you're here. But maybe this church thing, you've kind of just been playing with it for a while. And it's not really one of those things that's been that important in your life. You look attached because you go to church. You look like you're part of the deal. You look like you're connected to Christ because you live a pretty decent life. Nice law-abiding citizen. But the reality is you're not. Only you know. And God knows. We don't know. But friends, if that describes you, remember what Jesus said. 
apart from him, you can do nothing. Now, some of you have been Christians for a long time. And you know what it means to be pruned by God's word. And I want you to think about your witness when it comes to God's word. Because for many people, you are as close to God's word as they will ever get. And the question is, what are they reading when they read you? A poet said it this way. I am my neighbor's Bible. He reads me when we meet. He reads me in my home and out there in the street. A relative, a friend, a co-worker, a chance encounter, he may be. He may not even know my name, but he is reading me. Friends, you and I as Christians, what do people read when they read us? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Father, for those who are here this morning that are not Christians, I just pray that their minds would be open to the possibility that there was this Jesus who came into the world from you because you loved us so much that you sent him into the world to die on a cross for our sins. Father, if there's anybody here this morning that have just kind of been keeping up the appearance of being attached to you, I pray that they would give that serious thought. It's not about appearances. It's about reality. And for those of us, Father, that are being pruned, help us, Father, to accept that pruning and to do our very best with your help to be a Bible that others can read with absolute clarity. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. And we all agreed together and said, Amen.